Okay, 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 I see what you say. Uh, let me start with a different story then. Uh, I have a friend that I'm like pretty sure is an Enneagram 6. And uh, like when we're out walking just down the street, we'll be talking about something, and he'll go, whoa, whoa, whoa watch out for that, you know, we're the sidewalk because we're in Texas, and, you know. As though I did not see this giant step that I need to take, right? Or, oh, there's a curb here, as though I was just going to, like, fall on my face and roll out into the street or whatever, right? He's just, like, constantly scanning and looking and aware of every possible pitfall. But probably the worst time ever was uh, he and I and a couple of our other friends were in Spokane, Washington, of all places, okay? And we were walking down the street, and he, like, leapt out in front of us, and he was like, everybody watch out! And we looked, and there was nothing. We said, hey, man, what, you okay? And he goes, yeah, don't step on that praying mantis. And sure enough, we looked down, and there was one, you know, one of those cute little praying mantis bugs. And we said, well, okay, we weren't going to. He was like, they're endangered, which is actually not true, but it turns out it's one of those like weird things that a lot of people believe. Um, so again, like, None of us were going to step on the praying mantis, right? But in his mind, he had already, he had, he had like spotted it from halfway down the block and saw us coming up to it. And in his mind, he had been running these scenarios. Like one of us was going to either maliciously or probably more likely accidentally going to step on this poor little bug. And then like the PETA SWAT team was going to descend out of the sky from these black helicopters and wrap, up, wrap us up and take us to prison. And then, you know, with recidivism rates in the U.S. justice system, right, uh, we were going to be in jail for the rest of our lives, probably not get out until we were like in our 80s. And at that point, we'd all have to be in some sort of like really low income assisted living facility together to just sort of like while away our few remaining days, all because he did not warn us about this little bug. Right? Uh, if you know someone like that, uh, you probably know an Enneagram 6. Uh, they often, I think, uh, I, I don't want to say quite unfail, unfairly, because sometimes they're uh, a little bit overly anxious, but they get, they get uh, called chicken littles, right? They're always convinced the sky is falling, that the worst case thing is always going to come true, that it's, they're sort of holding the sky up by their own uh, efforts, and uh, it's, it's interesting because in Enneagram studies, these folks are, are called loyalists, which I think is actually a really good trait. And that's one of the things that, as I was working through this stuff that I learned about Enneagram 6s, is that they're super, super loyal. Uh, they're really reliable and dependable. And if you know someone who is an Enneagram 6, uh, then you're actually in a really great spot, I think, relationally, uh, because they are, they're the most dependable, trustworthy people, uh, super reliable, super faithful. And so today we're going to look at what the path from that sort of anxious, doomsday scenario kind of person is to that person who's reliable, trustworthy, dependable, uh, what, what that path to health looks like, and how the person that we would say is an Enneagram 6 is actually a picture for us of God's reliability and faithfulness. Um, yeah, but I, I just don't think there's any way around it. In order to do that, we're going to have to talk about Bruno. So, 
Um, but before we do that, before we do that, before we do that, let's sing a song together. Let's, let's, let's begin to worship this God who is trustworthy, who is reliable, who can be depended on. And uh, we're going to be receiving communion in a little bit. So I just want to say to all of you who are gathered with us, whether you're uh, in person here with us in the building or whether you're gathered online, that anyone is welcome to receive communion with us here at Catalyst. It's something that God invites us all to. So if you're in the building, hopefully on the way in, you got one of the little communion cups by the door. If not, feel free to go grab one. Uh, if you're virtual with us, then please just grab something to eat, something to drink. You know, it can be goldfish and apple juice, whatever whatever you have around you that's handy. Um, we're going to receive those later in the gathering. And for now, I want to turn it over to Nathan and the worship team. Would you all uh, stand with me as we begin singing together? This summer at Catalyst, we have been exploring a spiritual formation tool called the Enneagram. And we've been doing that through the lens of one of last year's biggest movies, Encanto which is about La Familia Madrigal, who all have a unique magical power that helps them serve not only the family, but the community around them, right? And so we've been correlating each of the characters in the film to one of the numbers of the Enneagram. So if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, the Enneagram at first seems like it's kind of like a personality profiler, like Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder or one of those. And again, in Enneagram, there are nine numbers. And so everyone is one of the nine numbers. That's why it kind of can feel like a personality profile. Uh, the difference and what, what makes it really profitable for spiritual formation is something that a spiritual director named Ian Kranz uh, says. He describes the Enneagram uh, this way. He says, while personality profiles tell you who you really are, the Enneagram tells you who you're really not. And so if you identify yourself as one of the nine numbers, what you're actually identifying is a, a false persona, what theologians and mystics call a shadow self. And this is a, this is a persona that we develop usually when we're pretty young as a way to, to protect ourselves from a harmful message that we have learned from the world around us. And so the goal in spiritual formation is to shine a light on that shadow self, shine a light on that shadow persona, so that you can see the truth of who we are in Jesus uh, and be freed from the way that that shadow reacts to the world so that we can be freed to react to the world out of, out of the wellspring of God's love for us. And again, the Enneagram helps us do that. It's a diagnostic tool that helps us understand ourselves. So when we, when we figure out which number we are, what that tells us is how we have been malformed to interact with the world. And then we can begin to, to walk the path of healing. So the Enneagram is divided into three triads. There are three numbers in each triad. And so far, we've explored the anger triad, people who are, who are formed by a core lie that revolves around anger. We've explored the shame triad, the core lie that revolves around shame. And last week, we began the last triad, the fear triad. So we met Dolores, who's an Enneagram 5, which is the shame externalizer, right? She, is, she, uh, she learned early on that the world was dangerous. And so if she can just collect enough information, which is why her superpower is hearing, then she can protect herself and the people that she loves from a dangerous world. Today, we're meeting Enneagram Sixes, who are called the Loyalists. And yes, as I've mentioned a couple of times today, we're talking about Tio Bruno, right? Bruno, the one that no one is allowed to talk about. In fact, in her opening song, where Mirabelle introduces her entire magical familia, she says, my Tio Bruno, they say he saw the future, one day he disappeared. Okay, that's all she knows about him, is that his power was looking ahead and seeing the future, and then one day he just, you know, was gone. 
and no one talks about him, except as Nathan observed in that song, all they do is talk about him, right? Uh, what they mean, essentially, is that no one acknowledges his presence and importance in the family. He's relegated to the realm of gossip and whispers and innuendo, right? Uh, we're actually going to talk about that here in a few weeks. Uh, but Bruno, as a six, with this power to see the future, again, what, what he's really doing here is sort of doomsday planning, right? He's looking ahead and imagining all of these worst-case scenarios, and then what happens often with Bruno is that those things come to pass. So sometimes they're just sort of what happens, like the woman who said she had a fish and it died. Yeah, like that's the number one thing pet fish do, Right. Um, or the guy that said he would grow a gut and look at me now, right? That's 100% Bruno's fault, obviously, right? Um, others of them, though, are these kind of self-fulfilling prophecies, and I think the best example of that is Tia Peppa, right? Her her mood, her emotions control the weather, and so on her wedding day, Bruno says he's worried it might rain, and then that becomes all she can think about. She becomes, uh, she becomes captivated by this thought. Like if I say, don't think about pink elephants, right? Everyone immediately, well, that's all you can think about. Um, that's the same thing with Peppa, right? She can't quit thinking about rain, and then it gets so bad that there's a hurricane, and of course, in her case, the worse she feels, the worse it rains, and so it becomes this vicious loop, right? This is what can happen with Enneagram 6s if they're not careful, as they get stuck in these doom loops and create these self-fulfilling prophecies. So what is a 6, right? What do they sound like when they're kind of average? What do they sound like when they're unhealthy? And then what do they sound like when they're healthy? So here's, here's what an average Enneagram 6 sounds like. Average 6s question almost everything. They struggle, struggle to get out of their heads and the pattern of worst-case scenario planning. They're overly focused on authority and can be either subservient or rebellious. They find the world to be an unsafe place, and they respond with fight or flight. That's an average six. Okay, that's where if you're a six, probably you spend a lot of your life in that, in that space. An unhealthy six finds danger around every corner. Their anxiety borders on paranoia as they fear that the world is unfair and that most people are not who they say they are and cannot be trusted. Unable to trust themselves either, they look to authority figures and experts to make decisions on their behalf. They find fault in others and tend to fall into patterns associated with the mental mechanism of projection. Okay? Now, I'm going to argue in a moment that that's where, when we meet Tio Bruno, we're seeing him as a very unhealthy six. Okay? If you couldn't tell by, you know, living in the walls with the rats, right? That wasn't a clue. Let that be. Right? But again, like with every number, sixes, it's not all bad. In fact, when you are healthy, you are a beautiful, powerful force for good. Healthy sixes have learned to trust their own experiences of life. They are aware that certainty and accurate predictability are not likely in most situations. They're productive, logical thinkers who almost always organize their thoughts and actions around what would be most advantageous for the common good. Loyal, honest, and reliable, healthy sixes are clear-eyed judges of character. They've come to believe that in the end, everything will be all right. Healthy sixes are the backbone of almost any community. Okay, they they are such they are such a powerful, steady center, and sixes. That's why that's why we need you to be healthy. So today we're going to talk about what that path to health looks like for you. And again, I think Bruno is such a great example, right? Because uh, it, again, if you haven't seen the film, at one point in the movie, Mirabelle, who's the star, right? She's the the kind of the the young one of the youngest of the family. She decides she has to go find Bruno because she's heard that there's a vision that Bruno had a long time ago, that the magic of the family is fading. 
And this manifests in the movie by cracks forming in the magical house, in the casita, right? And so Mirabelle goes looking for Bruno, and she finds out that he did not, in fact, flee the family like she was told he did. He lives in the walls of the casita, and he has been patching them. He has been for a long time working to keep the house standing, to keep the house safe. And so when she finally confronts Bruno and asks him what's going on, he says this. He says, my gift wasn't helping my family, but I love my family. That is a classic Enneagram 6 statement. They are, this is why they're called the loyalist. Because once they've decided that they are committed to someone, to, to a person, to a family, to an organization, it's like almost impossible to drive them away. Because they're so loyal. Even Bruno, right? He couldn't live with his family, but he could not live with his family. So he lived in the walls. And he didn't just live in the walls. He, he patched all of these cracks that long ago he had had this vision was going to happen. He knew that the magic couldn't last forever, that it, it would eventually fail. He didn't know how to stop it, so he just lived in the walls and did his best. And sixes, uh, uh, among all of the numbers, sixes are the most interesting. You might have heard in the unhealthy where it said that they respond with either fight or flight. Well, that, that's, that's a thing, right? Sixes become what uh, Enneagram teachers call either phobic or counterphobic. And believe it or not, this is in the movie, when we meet Hernando, okay? Uh, when Mirabelle is talking to Bruno and she notices that the cracks have been patched, she says, she says, wow, are you patching the cracks? And he says, oh, no, no, no. And you can tell he's scared of the cracks. And then he puts his hood up and he says, that's Hernando. I am Hernando, right? And, and then he puts his hood back down. He's like, it's just me. I'm Hernando, right? And we're like, yeah, we, you know, we got it, right? <laughs> it's this silly little gag, but what we see is that the sort of the Hernando persona that Bruno has is this brave uh, sort of rebellious persona who's not afraid to go and patch the cracks in the casita, whereas Bruno himself is this scared, skittish, always worrying kind of person. That's the difference between a phobic and a counterphobic six, okay? A phobic six is going to be afraid of everything, and they're the one that's going to reach out for an authority figure to latch onto to make their decisions for them. In Bruno's case, it was Abuela, right? Whatever Abuela said, Bruno was going to do. Whatever Abuela's vision for the, the, the familia was, that's what Bruno was going to try to execute. And a big part of the movie of Encanto is what Abuela has to learn. We talked about this clear back when we talked about Enneagram 8s at the very beginning. We talked about Abuela, right? Was that her vision was that the the dream was more important than the people. And so Bruno was like, okay, I'll, I'll take myself out of the family and I'll just stay and patch the walls because that's what Abuela wants, right? And that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a phobic kind of a six. The counterphobic kind of a six is the rebel. They're the ones that are going to fight. My favorite counterphobic six, not surprising to most of you that know me, Batman, right? Batman, some trauma as a kid. I don't know if you knew that. Um, but yeah, a little bit, right? It's, it's been in a movie or two. Um, but he responded to that by having a plan for everything, right? He has a worst case. He's constantly thinking about worst case scenarios and he has his little utility belt with something. My favorite example of this is actually the 1966 movie with Adam West where he has bat shark repellent, right? Why would you ever think that at some point as a superhero, you're going to have a shark on your leg? No sane person would think that. Batman thought that and guess what? It happened but he was ready for it. He just sprayed it on the shark. The shark dropped into the ocean. Batman's free to go on saving the day. That's a counterphobic six, okay? What they have in common, whether they're fighting or flighting, right? Whether they're standing up and rebelling against authority or whether they're clinging tightly to that authority to make their decisions for them is that they're concerned with who's in charge. 
And that's because as kids, again, think about Batman, kids, uh, sixes as kids learned the messaging that adults cannot be trusted, that adults cannot keep them safe. And so it's on them to constantly be planning and thinking ahead and trying to figure out ways to keep themselves safe and to keep the people they love safe, right? Um, so, so if that's where the core wound comes from, right? What is the path to healing for an Enneagram 6? If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you grab one of the Bibles out of the back, that's on page 581. Uh, you can keep that, by the way, if you need a Bible. We'd love for you to have it. Uh, now, as you're turning to Matthew 6, uh, this is in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, okay? He is preaching to a whole, whole big mess of people, and they are mostly peasants. They're mostly poor and oppressed. You're talking about people who are living at or below subsistence level, whose primary concern in a day is, am I going to eat today? Are my kids going to eat today? Okay, so they, these, are not, these are not middle-class folks, right? These are, these are very poor uh, very oppressed people. And I say that because if you're a six, you're going to hear this verse that I'm about to read, this thing that Jesus says to you, and it's going to feel really trite and dismissive. Okay? You're, you're in fact going to say, yeah, 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 I've heard that. That's what people tell me every day my whole life. Okay? But I, I, I'm prefacing all of this for you to say, remember that this is coming from the mouth of Jesus, who sees you and who loves you and who knows you and who is not trying to dismiss you or condemn you or judge you, and who, in fact, is talking to a whole bunch of people uh, for whom uh, the idea of worst-case scenarios was something they lived out on a, on a daily basis, okay? So when Jesus says this, I want you to try to hear it with grace and not hear it as a condemnation, okay? Here's what, here's what he says. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Okay? Don't worry. Don't do those worst-case scenarios. Stop that. Now, theologians call the Sermon on the Mount an act of prophetic imagination. And what they mean by that is that Jesus is painting a picture for us of a world that is ruled by God. What would it look like if we all behaved as though God were truly in control. And Jesus says, here's what it would look like. That's why it starts out with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Right? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Are the poor actually blessed? Mm, doesn't look like it in our world. Are the peacemakers actually blessed? Uh, doesn't look like it in our world. But Jesus asks us to imagine a world where this was the case. Imagine where God is on the throne and God is in control. And in that world, Jesus says, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. You can just focus on the concerns of today. And so again, probably all of us, but especially sixes, are like, it's very hard for you right now. You're feeling attacked. Again, sixes, I'm not surprised if you've been told that same phrase. Don't worry. Quit worrying about it. Stop thinking about it. As though it's just a, flip, uh, a switch you can flip in your brain, right? You've been told that so many times, it's hard to hear it as anything but dismissive. So that's why I want to pause here and, and, and tell you that the work of faith is living as though the things that God says are true are in fact true, even when they don't seem as though they're true. 
So I'm going to invite the worship team back up, and we're going to, we're going to pause here, take a big collective breath together by singing together, by insisting that this is true, even though we live in a world where it doesn't feel like it's true. Okay, so, so our collective singing together is going to be a way that we are going to uh, practice our faith. So would you stand with me as we return to, to song? Uh, six is I honestly don't know how you make it today uh, with all the, you know, doom scrolling and everything on the news and all of that. Like, I feel like you're just like, I knew it. I knew this would happen, right? We tried to warn you, and you wouldn't listen, and now look, now look where we are, right? Um, and so... I want to back up uh, on Jesus' words because I want to give them a little more context. Right? I, want to, I want to give a little more context to why specifically he said, don't worry, because I feel like sixes can look at the world today and say, uh, are, are, you, are you literally insane to say, look at the world and then tell me not to worry, right? Uh, and so I want to back all the way up to verse 19 uh, and look at, the, look at the section of the Sermon on the Mount that prefaces Jesus' commandment not to worry, because I think it's, it's really telling for us. So here's what he says beginning in verse 19. He says, Don't store up treasure here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. So when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, then how deep the darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food and drink, enough clothes to wear, to wear. And then we're going to skip down a little bit back to that verse where he says, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Uh, I find it interesting that the words that Jesus says before don't worry are about money, right? But again, Money is something that we use, that we accumulate, that we seek in order to provide a sense of security. We imagine that if we have just a little bit more money, then we won't have to worry so much. Okay? Uh, however, I would like to cite uh, a prophet who's not in the Bible, a little bit more contemporary than Notorious B.I.G., right? who actually says, more money, more problems. Right? We, know, we know that it's not true. We see people who have accumulated vast amounts of wealth, and it doesn't actually seem to have made them feel more secure. In fact, they're, they tend not to be more generous, more kind, more loving. They seem to be less kind and less generous and less loving the more they have. And I don't know that we've ever found a person that was like, oh, I finally I found the enough mark, Right? I found the number of zeros that actually finally purchased security. It just doesn't happen, right? We, we see that the more people get, the more they seem to feel like they need to have in order to feel that sense of security. It's because security is an illusion and money is an idol. Money promises us security. So does power, right? So, so do some other things, fame, um, but I think what Jesus here, talking to people who are, again, living at or below the subsistence level, whose chief concern is more money, he's saying, look, if you chase that, 
you're never going to have what you want. This thing that you think you want, you're never going to get it. You're never going to have it. You're going to be continually chasing it. And all it's going to do is make you crueler and more selfish and turn you more inward because that's what idols do. He asks them instead to imagine Again, the whole sermon is an act of imagination, right? Imagine that God actually is who God says God is. Imagine that God is the good and faithful king who knows what you need. You're the loving parent who knows what you need. And that if you will in faith walk in with God and not chase after money, God will give you the things that you need. Sixes specifically, I want to ask you, can you imagine that God is the trustworthy authority figure that you long for? Can you imagine that? And what would change in your life if you really believed that? Right? How would you behave differently if you genuinely believe that God is the trustworthy authority figure that you long for? And if you can begin to make a list of those behaviors, how your life would be different, what would happen if you started to act that way anyway, even before you fully believed it? Can you imagine acting yourself into faith? Or as the Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation. This is what the sermon invites us to do. That's why it's so uh, incredibly practical. Because Jesus does not think that faith is this abstract thing that we just, you know, uh, give lip service to every now and again. Jesus understands faith to be this tangible reality, this thing that we live into, this way that we walk, this place that we journey to called the kingdom of God. Now, one last thing, I I know we're running short on time, but I want to be careful here uh, to say that what Jesus is not doing is demonizing anxiety. Okay? I think that can also, also... often happen. We know we, uh, our, our brain science is like a teeny bit better than it was in Jesus' day these days, right? A little bit. And so we actually know that when you live in a situation like the, the people of Jesus' day did, where you're, you're constantly under stress and worried about some basic core desires, your brain chemistry actually changes, right? Um, some of you who have been around Catalyst a long time, you know we've had some pretty rough days. And uh, about a year after, after those started, I had my first panic attack I'd ever had. Never been an anxious person. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not a six, I'm a three. Uh, so that was just not something that ever happened. It actually took me a while to figure out what was happening in my body, that this was a panic attack. And then it started happening with some regularity. So I went to my doctor and I said, I've started having panic attacks. I, I've never had this, I don't have a history of this, you know, uh, before. And she explained to me, she said, uh, when your body goes into a period of a season, a long-term season where you're under a lot of stress, your brain chemistry changes. And so we have medications that what they do is they actually help your brain level back out and get back to uh, what, what would be a normal baseline brain chemistry for you. And I said, yes, please. Uh, and so I started, uh, I don't know, it's been probably five years ago now, I started taking a, a, a pill every day for my anxiety. And uh, it's made all the difference. And I'm actually, I mean, here, here's the thing, right? I'm grateful that I have access to medication that makes the life of faith easier for me to obtain. Right? This, is, this is a tremendous blessing for me. And I'm not ashamed of, of taking medication for my mental health. I'm not ashamed of uh, having gone to a doctor for my panic attacks. I'm not ashamed that uh, a couple of years ago we had to up the dosage a little bit because things got even more stressful. I'm not ashamed of these things because uh, I understand that what, what science has helped me to do is 
get into a place where it's easier for me to step into the life of faith. It's easier for me to behave as though God is truly in control and, and truly trustworthy and faithful and good. And so I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful that uh, I'm able still to remain in these places where there are stressors and I can continue to pursue God uh, together with, you know, with my church community. I think that's a beautiful thing. And so I want to say to you, uh, there is a difference, right, between uh, the sort of diagnosable clinical anxiety and depression that we have medications to treat and then the sort of uh, doom scrolling, doom loop kind of stuff that sixes are particularly prone to. And I wish that there was like a handy dandy flow chart that you could just like figure out which is which, but there's not. This is a thing that takes wisdom and discernment. It's something that, uh, again, if you're a six and this is really resonating with you, or even if you're not a six and it's really resonating with you, it's not something you should probably try to, to strong arm, right? You should be in conversation with other believers who you trust and love and who trust and love you. You should be in conversation with your doctor, right? Because these are things that, this is a, this is a thing that, that takes some discernment. Uh, and I say all of that to say that the path to health, the path out of worry and fear into being able to trust God, not in such a way that you ignore the pain of the world around you, but in such a way that you're able to be fully present to it, the way we saw healthy sixes can be. Uh, it, it can be difficult to walk, uh, but we need you sixes. We need you to be healthy and whole and good because you are such a powerful picture for us of God's faithfulness to us and God's steadiness and trustworthy and reliability. So we're thankful for you, and we want to uh, we want to be a place where you can flourish. Um, now we're going to come to the table together. We're going to celebrate as we always do uh, the, the community of all of us that Jesus has brought together so that we can come into health. And uh, before we come to the table, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of examine. I'm going to give you some questions to reflect on. I think if you're a six, they'll particularly resonate with you, but, but my hope is that all of us can take these to God in prayer and, and reflect on where we are and uh, what's going on in our lives right now. And most importantly, what the next step for us, the Holy Spirit has for us this week. So after we've done these four questions, I'm going to pray for all of us together, and then we're going to receive communion together. So here's the first question I want you to consider. When in the last week, just think about the week that's brought us here, right? When in the last week have I trusted God with my security and my future? Now, when in the last week have I allowed fear to determine my behaviors? Think about the week that's ahead of us. When, when in the next week might I be tempted to follow fear?
Finally, how can I create space to trust God this week? Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us this week uh, to know the, those among us who identify as Enneagram 6s, um, and even more importantly, so that we could hear this powerful message about worry, about how easily it can be something that dominates our lives, how easily it can form us into people who are mostly concerned uh, with getting ahead and staying ahead with security. Uh, with that illusion of safety and control. We've heard from your own son today that if we reject that path, we can trust that you will care for us, that you are in fact uh, a good and true parent, a good and true ruler who is caring for us and providing for us. And so we confess today that, that that's difficult for us to believe. We live in a world that wants us to be afraid, a world that wants us to see scarcity where you have promised abundance. We confess it's easier for us to worry than it is to trust. And so we come to your table today and we bring with us all of our fears and our anxieties and we give them over to you and we, we ask that uh, you take them from us and in return give us these elements. We pray that in receiving them they would be a spiritual food for us that by receiving this meal, we might also learn to trust you more fully, to know that you are a God who will even die for us and who will even raise us from the dead if that's what it takes to provide for us. And so we offer these prayers now and we come to you and approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he broke bread and gave it to them and said, this is my body broken for you, take it and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink, and as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. Uh, and speaking of online, when I mentioned bat shark repellent earlier, some sixes in the live chat online started pointing out why that's actually a really smart thing to invest in, and it's not at all weird to be worried about uh, being attacked by sharks, even if you don't live near the ocean. So I see you, sixes. All right, I see you. Um, I do want to say, uh, you know, at the end of each week, we talk about how, uh, what, what, is it, what is one practical thing that if you are the number we're talking about, you can do to pursue health, and then how can the rest of us, what's one practical thing we can do to, to uh, encourage them? So if you are a six, here's one thing I want you to do this week. I want you to, to not doom scroll or, or uh, hate watch the news, okay? Um, you know probably better than I do what the sources of your anxiety and worry are, so shut those off. Okay, uh, whether that's again doom scrolling Twitter or Facebook or something like that, whether it's a news channel that's always on in your home, I'm even say this: if there is a particular relationship in your life where that person is a constant source of anxiety for you, your pastor is giving you permission to say you don't have time to get coffee or lunch this week or whatever. Right? You can say no to that person, and if they ask why, you can just say that it's my fault. Okay? You can give them my number; it's fine. I'll talk to them for you. All right. Uh, 
shut off those sources of your worry and just see what happens when that space is free for you to do something else. What is the spiritual practice you could put in place there? Maybe uh, meditating on the scripture that we did today or, or doing a sacred reading of that text or something else, right? What is something you can do instead of that sort of doom scrolling, okay? The rest of us, here's something you need to understand about sixes. Um, the way sixes brains work, just kind of doing that thinking through every possible scenario thing is something that is really important to them. And so don't be dismissive of that. Try to take it seriously. And instead of, instead of just ignoring it, try to help them focus on the best case scenario outcomes rather than the worst case scenario outcomes. Okay, Help them develop that mental habit of not assuming that everything's always going to go badly. Okay, but help them to kind of focus on what are the best case scenario outcomes, and maybe again, what what can they do to make those happen instead of instead of worst case? Okay, uh, because again, uh, when sixes are healthy, they're just really irreplaceable, and uh, any community is beyond blessed when God invites healthy sixes to be a part of them. And so sixes, we love you. We're thankful that you're a part of Catalyst. And uh, we're grateful that you would choose to be on your journey to health and wholeness uh, with us. It's, it's a true gift. So would you stand all with me? I want to dismiss us with a blessing today. Uh, Catalyst, as you're going, would you go as a people who refuses to believe the lies that the world tells us, that there's not enough to go around, um, that, that scarcity is what defines us, that we need to be worried and afraid, uh, and that we need to be focused on accumulating more. You can go confident that the God who created you and called you is good and trustworthy and true. And that, that knowledge can free you to walk not in scarcity but in faith. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.